0: Well, we bring greetings again tonight in the worthy name of Jesus Christ. Back when Jeremiah wrote his prophecy, he was looked forward to, and today he's one of those promises that came and that we can stand on. Are you standing on the promises of God tonight? Have you taken the Bible seriously and repented of sin in your life and are you following faithfully? What a challenge. It's been a blessing to be here. I do want to take this time to say thank you to you as a church for everything. I've been well taken care of. I had more food than I knew what to do with almost. And I appreciate... The fellowship, the encouragement, the food, the prayers. The little girl we started out praying for at the beginning of the week went to church this morning. So God is good. Thank you. I wish you God's blessings as you faithfully follow him. And I just encourage you, I commend you to his grace. Faithfully follow him. Tonight, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 to begin, you get to the end of these meetings, and as I was packing my clothes this afternoon, it was hard to believe that we've come through the whole week, and it's hard to always know what to share. I've felt led this way. I've entitled the message the third way might sound a little confusing to us tonight, but I'll try to explain. I don't know if it'll all make sense, but the third way. And again, the keys, the theme of the week is the keys of the kingdom. And for tonight, I'd like to focus the final message on the fact that the true way and mindset of God's people will reflect whether they believe that they live in a kingdom. Tonight, have you ever thought about that, that we live in a kingdom? And we'll probably get to this a little later in the book of Luke. Maybe just refer to it, but the Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you, and I think it's vital, it's important for God's people to remember that as we approach, perhaps tonight we'll spend some time on end times or on on the things that might be coming for the Christian. And that's at the heart of the message this evening, is not only, and this, this kind of explains the third way that I'm talking about, I don't think God, God calls us only to look at where we are right now, but what is the trajectory of my life? There have been so many people that have gotten caught in that. They have focused on the here and now, forgetting that there is a trajectory in my life. Somewhere it will land. Somewhere it will give direction to other people. It will give encouragement and example to other people. What is the trajectory of my life? Is it it safe? Will it be safe for others to follow? Have I cultivated a life that when things turn... Bad, when things turn to where they're not easy anymore for Christians. And if we're honest tonight, we've had it pretty easy. And I know there's people sitting here that have been places in the world where they've seen how hard it is for Christians, but we've had it pretty easy. And I wonder tonight, and I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but I wonder tonight, is it going to prove to be a blessing in our life or is it going to prove to be a detriment in our life? Because I think both are very, very possible. You look at cultures in the world that have had it very easy for a very long time, and when hard times came, they simply were not prepared. And I wonder how deep my faith goes tonight. Is it it barely under the surface, or is it buried a little bit, or does it go to the very core of my being? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. That grips me tonight, and I trust that it grips you too. The Bible says, and I don't know how many times we're going to read that word tonight, many, many. This way is not the way we go on if we go naturally. This way is not the way we go on if we coast. This way is not the way we go on if we stop thinking through what God wants for us. The Bible says many will go into that broad way. In verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And tonight, if you forget everything else that's said, remember verse 14 of Matthew chapter 7, which says, which leadeth unto life, and you and I can be among the few. But it's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen in rebellion. It's not going to happen in paying little attention to what God wants for our life. And scripture could not be more clear that there are only two ways. And all of humanity is on one of those two ways. But again, I ask you tonight, what is the trajectory of your life? I think it's an important question to ask. Where will we one day end up? I'd like to think there's a couple of things that have fed into this message, a couple of different factors that enter in. And the first one is that many years ago, and I don't even know the man who preached the message, but I heard a message entitled The Two Streams of Christianity. The Two Streams of Christianity, and the premise of this message was this He said the two streams of Christianity flow together for a long, long time, but somewhere way down the road, there is a parting. And I'd like us to think very seriously tonight, what causes people to get off that narrow way? If Christianity tonight is about me and my wants and my opinions, then I'm afraid someday I'm going to face major, major trouble. The second thing is that we fail to understand. I'm concerned sometimes that we fail to understand that we live in a kingdom and how a kingdom works. This mother this morning, Brother Jerry referred to the fact that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember when he got to the book of Revelation? And I love that list that he presented to us this morning, but he got to the book of Revelation and he said, What does Revelation say about Jesus? It says he's King of and of King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And the government we're used to is the government of a president. And if I can just go over this really briefly, but it's the government of a president where one man, you know, he's going to have his opinion. He's going to try and push things, how well we know that. But it has checks and balances. It goes through things. And the final thing that's decided is not necessarily the will of the president. It's not necessarily what the president wants. In ancient and even more modern cultures of the world, we see some huge shifts in what the flavor of the culture is all about. And, you know, that's, that's these kingdoms. There's still kingdoms in the world. And there's been kingdoms in ancient, ancient times where the will of the king was fulfilled. The will of the king is carried out. That's not the government we're used to. And I think we can be thankful that some of these laws go through checks and balances and and there's different factors that come in and, and so that's why you see some of these huge shifts in these cultures around the world. All at once there's a new king and he says, well, I want these people killed or I want this changed or I want to do this or that and everything's carried out just the way he says and you see huge shifts based on the king that is now in power. We're not used to that and I think it's good we aren't but friends tonight, let's think about something Let's not forget that we're a part of a kingdom, and I'm afraid sometimes we adopt those checks and balances into our life when it comes to our faith, and we think we can kind of pick and choose how we want to follow and what we want to do. In the New Testament, Jesus said when he taught that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How many of us are concerned about the will of God when things come up for discussion? You know, sometimes it troubles me because things come up for discussion and it seems like a lot of it is, well, I think and I believe and I and I and I and I. But how much time are we spending asking God, what is your will? What would you want from this? What's going to prove to be a safe way to help people stay on the narrow way? There have been many, many people that made decisions that maybe at first it didn't look all that bad. But you look at the decision, and I've been a part of some of those decisions. I've seen how some of those decisions look, and I'm now 45 years old. I'm not quite sure how I got here this quickly, but now I think back 20, 25, 30 years ago, and I see some of those decisions, and I see how they look today. Will we learn from history? Or will we say, well, you know what? We can still kind of push our opinion forward. We can still push what I want, and it'll turn out differently. What is the will of God? And are we really, really concerned about the will of God? And the third thing that entered into this message is that over the time of being sick and being quarantined, I don't know if I said it directly in the... I think I said it in children's class. But I did have COVID 19 back in October. I was sick and quarantined. COVID went through our house three times. We were finally pretty tired of the word quarantine. Let's just say that. But I had the privilege of doing a lot of reading, and I read a lot about the underground church. I read a lot about the persecuted church. And I plan to share about some of that tonight. And I don't understand tonight. There's some things I'm going to present to you perhaps in kind of a question form because I don't understand why all this diversity exists. All you have to do is pick up some of these books about what's going on around the world and what has gone on around the world, and then you compare it with our culture, and I don't understand why all this diversity exists. Why do I get to wake up every morning, and I don't know that I've ever woken up wondering where food is going to come from? or where shelter is going to come from, or where my family is. And yet for some Christians around the world, that's a daily reality. And again, I wonder, are we going to prove to be a spoiled culture? And let's take it even further down the line. Am I going to prove to be a spoiled person? I saw you get the CLP uh, story papers, and I don't know if you read the one, it's probably been some months now, I'm not sure, but I believe the title of it was The Gift of Experience. You remember that story where there was this girl, and, and she was struggling because she was living in a home where there was maybe five, six little children or something. I'm not sure how the story went, but she was struggling because... You know, there was chocolate on the walls and and there was this and there was squabbles and and here she had a lot of her free time was taken up helping her mom or helping her parents, helping take care of the children and then she had this friend that it seemed like life was so nice for her. Life was so calm at home and she didn't have all these distractions and she could just kind of go about her things and have her things that she went after and, and she lived in more peace. But you know what happened? You fast forward that story 10 years down the road. And all at once, these two girls are now married with homes. And this, this girl that had been struggling, all at once, now it's her walls that have chocolate on them. And she gets a call that her husband had maybe, maybe had an almost amputation or had hurt his, his foot or something and, and all these things. And then she talks to the friend. Who's now feeling completely overwhelmed in life because she's going through things she never had before. And she realized that was a gift. And if we're not careful, and we allow ourselves to become a spoiled people and a spoiled culture, you see, there are cultures in the world and know what it's, what it's like to wake up with bombs and wake up with hunger and wake up with diversity of all kinds. We have no idea. And I, I'm not here trying to predict doom. I'm not here trying to say we're going to go through these things. I don't know. But I believe I'm responsible. God has laid this on my heart that we need to spend some time thinking about it. What's going to happen when our faith is challenged on that level? What's the trajectory of my life? What's going to happen? I read a story during that time, some of you probably read it too, about an Easter Sunday morning service in 2019 as a group of Christians met in Sri Lanka. A young man walked into the service. Now imagine this, Easter Sunday morning. That feels all warm and cozy and cuddly to us. We, we enjoy it so much. We, come, we get together with friends. We probably look, to, look forward to an Easter meal after the service, going home, getting together with family, and they're sitting there, And this young man walks in with a backpack on his shoulder in a church service in Sri Lanka. And he drops the backpack and detonates a bomb in the middle of the service. And there was a little girl there. I believe she was eight years old. An eight year old girl who lost both parents and her eyesight. in that service. You know, I preached on bitterness the other evening. Sometimes I can wonder, do I even have a right to talk about that? I I haven't faced much in life, I'll be honest. But this girl has not chosen bitterness. She's chosen love and forgiveness, and it came at an awful price. And then I wonder, has God at times tried to prepare us for some of the things that are coming? Some of the difficult things, I don't know. And maybe we've bought or fought or complained our way right out of them. What if some of these things that we view as diversity and as as hard things are actually gifts from God? and we bought we've bought or fought or complained our way right out of them. And I want to encourage you with this tonight. There are promises in the eternal word of God that will always be true, and I think we as God's people need to remember these promises. They are true for people in Sri Lanka, they're pe- true for people in Iran, Iraq, all these places where Christianity is is Persecuted, They kill people just for practicing it. And friends, tonight I'm just going to read a couple verses here. Acts chapter 10, verse 35. But in every nation, he that seeketh him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In every nation, he that seeketh him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Romans 10 verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And tonight I don't think these people would want me to stand up here and and ask you to pity them or to... Well, we do pity them. But, but perhaps they would just like to... To encourage us. Make sure your faith is real. They know what it's like to, to wake up. And they know their only hope that day is on God. They know that's, that's, that's the only hope they have. And you know what? Their way of claiming these promises is probably very different from our way. We kind of skim, oh yeah, well that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yep, that's nice. But is it real? Do we understand that we are finished? We're not going to make it to the end faithfully without the help of God. Do we understand it? And I wonder what happens when God brings some of these things. Do I make a conscious effort to focus less on my opinions, my wants, my desires, and focus more on the will of God? You see, he has a will. He is sovereign. He's the sovereign ruler of this kingdom that we've been talking about. And he has a will. And he has a will not only for for us personally, but he has a will for groups. And he has a will for, for organizations. He has a will. And I wonder how much time I'm spending trying to understand that will. Or is it spent based on trying to tell others, well, this is what I think. This is what I believe. You know, we live in a culture where that has become rampant. I don't know exactly where you're at on social networking, but I'm concerned that it has not been a friend because it's a way, and I understand it can be used very well, don't get me wrong, but it's a way for me to to just project exactly what I want to say. This is what I want to say. And how many people who have few physical needs pay much attention to the plight of others? How many people that have few physical needs pay much attention to the plight of others? And I'll take you back to that question I asked a little bit ago. Why is there all this diversity? Why is there people that wake up and they never have to worry about food? And there's people that go through all of life and it seems like they worry about food every day of their life. Why? Is it God's will that many of the people that never have to worry about these things pay little attention to those that do? Is that God's will? I recently read, not too long ago, during during the time I had COVID, I read a story that was one of the most gripping stories I've ever read. I'll tell you, I have read many books where I come upon something and I burst out laughing. You probably have too. I had never read a story where I burst out crying. Until this story. This was a man that had served in Somalia. He had served in an African country. I think it was Somalia. Where poverty and civil fighting and greed had brought tremendous suffering and poverty. And he had finally, finally gotten in there. And he was starting to work and starting to look around. And he said they would come on these villages. Whole villages where the whole village had died. And he said they came upon this this one village and he noticed mothers out digging. I don't know what they had to dig, but they were digging in the dirt and he couldn't figure out what they were doing. You know what they were doing? They were trying to get a hole dug deep enough for a shallow grave for a child. And he walked into this one room and there was two little girls that had died in this room. The one had a hairbrush in her hands. Like she was trying to look her best as she faced death. And you know the question I asked myself. Where was I when those two little girls at the end of life, perhaps never having been told about a God that loves them. What will we do with our lives? I'm troubled, and I speak about our community at home. I speak about my own life, my own tendencies much of what I'm seeing, we're pretty happy in our culture. We're pretty happy in our little bubble. And I wonder how much time we've spent pondering the question, what does God want from the most privileged in relating to these? You know, if we're honest, we've been really, really sheltered. If you'd have told me years ago that there was a place where People literally died. You see, these two girls, and this was the plight of many, many, many people. It wasn't safe to go out. And if they went out, probably the greed that existed within the leadership in that country had taken care of all the food or or, or taken all the food for themselves. What hope is there? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 28. Matthew 24, verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold." But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And I believe there's some tremendous lessons here for us to pay attention to, but perhaps it can be summed up. And think about these words that Jesus told his followers that I think he would still tell us today, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. And did you notice how many times the word many was used there? I think it's at least six times where it talks about many. And, and let's just think a little bit about the word deceive. It's the Greek word planeo, to cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. And I believe that idea of to cause to roam is significant. Because if we become deceived in our minds, it will make a difference in what we do and where we go. We've encountered that different times this week as we've looked at the word of God. That if you become deceived in your minds, if you start believing something that's wrong. And I believe Jesus had a burden for his followers back then. He still has a burden for those followers today. That he does not want men to deceive us. He does not want men to deceive us. And there are people that will be deceived. There's people that have gotten deceived. John chapter 16, verse 2. And this may have been the man that walked into that service in Sri Lanka, killing all those people. I don't know. But John 16, 2 says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. You see, it was right here. Somebody convinced him of something wrong. And if I can encourage you with all my heart tonight, do not let people convince you of something wrong. It's pretty easy. And you know what? We live in a time where we, can, we kind of develop our pet theories and, and things, what we think about things, and then we look uh, on the Internet. Oh, yep, yep, there, and we click on that, and we say, sure enough, yep, it's just like that. It's pretty easy to become deceived. And Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. And he also said in 1 Timothy 6, and I don't think we're going to turn there for time, but it talks there about those who consent not to wholesome words of Jesus and the doctrine, which is according to godliness. And then he says from such withdraw thyself. Don't feed from those people. Don't believe it. Don't take it. He said that they're not building on the things that need to be built on. And, And it says, from such withdraw thyself. Be careful that no man deceive you. And he, I believe in essence what he's saying is I want you so connected to me that you won't be deceived and wronged from the truth. And I'd like to just think about some points tonight that I believe should help us. And I don't know. I said earlier I don't know if we're going to face persecution or not. But I'd like to look at what the Bible says about being faithful and look at some past examples. And the first point I have is it starts with a fervent love for Jesus Christ. It starts with a fervent love for Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you're honest tonight, if you ask yourself that question, and don't ask it the way we sometimes ask questions. I punished a child one time. I remember this years ago. She had this tendency... That is, it can almost be comical because we have the same tendency. I asked her a question, and without thinking, she answered. You know how it is? I said, did you do this? No. Sometimes we answer before we think. But if you were asked the question tonight, do you really love Jesus with all your heart, and you think it through, is the answer yes or no? I think it's so, so important. And verse 12 here says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, why would the love of many wax cold? I'm assuming that this iniquity was coming from society. This iniquity was coming from people that didn't love the Lord. Why would it cause me, why would it cause my love for the Lord to wax cold? And you know what it is? I believe it behooves us. Have your focus on the right thing. Have your focus on the right thing. You see, political things and governments can crumble, but our love for the Lord Jesus can remain firm and in place at all times. I wonder where our focus is, and I wonder what happens when things change. In John chapter 21, and again we won't turn there, but you know the story there. Three times Jesus asked Peter, he says, Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? And the last time he asked the question, More than these. Peter finally grieved because Jesus had asked three times. He kept emphatically stating, you know that I love you. And after each declaration, Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And you know what? Jesus, I believe, was taking Peter back to the most, one of the most critical times in his life when he had, he had emphatically declared, Lord, I will never forsake you. I will never go away from you. And at the most critical time in his life, Been concerned about his own reputation. He had been concerned about his own life because the tide of public opinion was changing, was going away, and people were saying, You know what? I saw you with him. He said, No. And it it kept getting worse and worse. He kept denying worse and worse. And Jesus was reminding him, I want you to have a love for me that goes deep. And we could also turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 38 to 50. And you know the story there. It's a familiar story. But this woman comes in. There's a gathering. This woman comes in. And she shows. And I'm assuming this woman was not a believer. She shows more love to Jesus than those that were gathered there. And they kind of had this haughty attitude. And Jesus had to set them straight. A sinner who expressed more love and adoration than a follower of him. And there's a very serious question that I believe you and I Must all answer personally is my love for Jesus Christ fervent and passionate and is it growing more and more? What's growing in my life? I'm convinced that if we can answer that question honestly, there are things growing in my life. Whether it's worldliness, whether it's discontent, whether it's frustration, whether it's confusion, whether it's deception, or whether it's a love for God and for his word and for following him faithfully. There are things growing in our life. What is growing First John 4, 19, it says we love him because he first loved us. It's just a natural response. And there's also that verse the Apostle Paul wrote. He said he can give his body, he can be burned at the stake, and I'm not sure exactly what all he said, but if he doesn't have love, it profits him nothing. Tonight I'm reminded of a story I read from the underground church as well. It's about Dmitry. Some of you have maybe read this story. He was a Christian in Russia many, many years ago. And if I remember the story correctly, they began to have a hunger for fellowship, and they began to get together in their homes. And the police showed up and said, you know what, you're going to have to quit this. And I believe they said, well, you know what, we're, he said, well, I'm not a licensed pastor. We're just getting together here to encourage ourselves." And... I wish I had the story in front of me so I could read it, but somehow he did something. The policeman did something to Dimitri, and an old woman went up to him and said, You have touched a man of God, and you will be held accountable, or something will happen. And I believe it was three days later that policeman fell over dead of a heart attack. And you know what happened to the work? It began to grow. Those things don't go unnoticed by society. There were people that said, you know what, if they have something that real, we want it too. And it grew and grew. And the police said, we're going to have to do something with this group. And they got Dimitri, and I believe they took him about 1,000 kilometers away and stuck him in a prison where he would spend the next 17 years. And here's what I want to get at. All at once, he was taken away from everything he had known in his life. He was thrust into situations that were completely unfamiliar. He was now sharing his life with 1,500 hardened criminals. I don't know if there were any other Christians in that group or not, but he was now sharing his life with 1,500 hardened criminals. And he said there was two things he would do. It was disciplines that his father had taught him. There were two things he'd do every morning. The first one he'd do is he'd stand straight. He'd face a certain direction, and he would sing a song to his God. And the next thing he'd do, he'd look for these little scraps of paper. And he would write every Bible verse, every quote, everything. He'd write it as tiny as he possibly could. And he'd hang that up out of a love for his Lord. And his guard would come and see the paper, and then he'd beat Dimitri, but he'd do it again the next morning. And finally, and I'm not sure if this wasn't a trap, but one day, many years later, Dimitri said he was maybe coming back from somewhere and he sees this big sheet of paper and there was even a pencil with it. I kind of think it was probably a setup. But he grabs this paper, and pen, this paper and pencil. He couldn't help himself. And he starts writing and writing and writing. And he fills up this whole sheet. And he hangs it up on this. There was a place where water dripped down so it was wet so he could hang it there. And of course the guard finds him and he goes to haul him out of the prison cell. And this, this is something that I believe should grip our hearts because it shows what happens when you and I truly love our Lord and Savior. As he's dragging him down past these 1,500 hardened criminals, he said the most amazing thing. I think it was one of the most amazing things he had ever experienced in life. These 1,500 hardened criminals stood upright, faced the proper direction, and there was a 1,500 voice males choir and he said it sounded like the most beautiful choir he'd ever heard and they sang the song that he had sung for the past 17 years and it scared the guard the guard said who are you and soon after he was released and returned to his family How fervent is my love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and is it growing? You know what? I think God is so concerned about the direction of our life. He's so concerned about that direction of our life. You know, there's, there's Christians here, there's believers here this this evening, from all different stages, some that have probably just been a Christian for a little bit or some that should be one and have never surrendered to the Lord, some that have been a Christian for a long time, but the question comes to us no matter what stage we are is what direction are we going toward the world, toward pleasing myself, or toward pleasing God. Number two, stay humbly dependent on God for wisdom and strength. Stay humbly dependent on God for wisdom and strength. We can read Matthew 24, and we can read there where it says many, 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 and I don't know how many times the Bible uses the word many as it talks about those that are going to fall away, and friends, tonight in our own selves, in our own strength, by our own abilities which are not many, we will never make it. We need to stay humbly dependent on God for wisdom and strength. Verse 20 and 21 paints a very dark picture. It says, but pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall, there shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. It talks about the fact that if those days weren't shortened, that even the elect would be deceived. And I don't know exactly what all these verses are saying, but I know we need the help of God. We need to love God. With, we need to love Jesus with all our hearts, and we need the help of God. And I love the words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul wrote, and he could, have, he could have well wrote something different. He had spelled out his credentials somewhere else in his epistles. But he said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. It doesn't matter what we are. It doesn't matter if we come from the longest line of believers ever. We need the help of Almighty God. Just as much, maybe more so. And here's why I say that. I was going to say just as much as the man that comes to Christ out of the slums in Chicago or wherever, and maybe more so because you know what? How many of us have turned proud because of who we are? There is no room for it. And we will fail. We need a firm dependence on the help of God. Number three, let that love and dependence guide you in recognizing the false ways because they are still there. In Psalm 119, well, that's a long psalm, and, and there's, there's a couple of verses there where I believe David twice in 104 and 128, he says, I hate every false way. You see, God not only calls us to have a love for him that will sustain us to humbly depend on him, but we need to hate the false ways. And I'm afraid sometimes today people... Are embracing and loving false ways. Let me just ask you the question tonight, is the answer really to figure out where the government has gone wrong and to try to tear them down? Is that really where the answer is? Or is it to focus somewhere else? I'm going to kind of leave that hanging there. But I believe we still need the spirit that David had. I hate every false way. And I wonder if any of these things ring a bell for any of us tonight. It talks about signs and wonders, and maybe you don't have that out here, but we certainly have that back where I come from, where people are saying God is doing this and God is doing all these miracles, and he's creating false teeth gold teeth. False teeth, yeah. False gold teeth, okay? But he's creating gold teeth, and people are falling for it. I talked to somebody that that said, well, you know what? If you want to know if it's true, just go talk to so-and-so. It happened to him. Are we awake? Is that really how we can gauge the power of God? Sometimes I'm so concerned because these are wealthy people, it almost seems like they've been used to making puppets of of other things, puppets of people and saying, well, this needs to happen, that needs to happen. But they're kind of frustrated because it doesn't work with God and they dabble in things they shouldn't dabble in and there are powers involved that they should steer completely clear of. The Bible talks here about the fact that there's going to be signs and wonders and wonders. Verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. What are we going after? We we have the kingdom of God within us. And again, I don't think we'll turn to it. But in Luke chapter 17, which is a parallel passage to Matthew 24, it talks about the fact that if they say he is here, don't go. If they say he is there, don't go. The kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter what condition economically and where we are for in other parts of the world, that is true. We can find a faithful walk with God no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. And number four, let that love and dependence guide you into being busy. And I know we're busy, but I wonder sometimes, are we busy with the right things? Are we busy with things that are going to last for all of eternity? Or is about 80 or 90% of our time taken up with things that will not last for eternity? And again, I understand we need to make a living. We need to work. But in all those things, that there are opportunities. There are things we can do to be busy in the kingdom. Busy about our jobs. But, but I just encourage you to tonight. Open up your hearts. Maybe God would want to use you in other ways. Live a faithful life and open up your hearts and let God use you in whatever way he wants to. Verse 14 talks about the fact that this, king, this, gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And if published reports are right, over 2 billion people have never heard of Jesus Christ. Over 2 billion people have never heard of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it can be overwhelming, but I believe God calls us to have a personal focus. Lord, please teach me to be faithful to you, to get rid of my prejudices, to get rid of the things that I want to see happen. And you know what? I just believe this and i know. No, teach me to be faithful to you you and teach me to have an open heart that if you would want to call me into something that I'm open and ready it's easy to say I understand that we can say it without thinking much and then the call comes or, or then the opportunity comes well you know what I, I just things just mean too much to me if we're on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says, Remember them that are in bonds as being bound with them. You see, there there is something of a a weaving together. This is God's will, I believe, that, that we remember these that are in bonds. We remember these that are suffering. We remember these that are in adversity. Hebrews 13, 3 says, Remember them that are in bonds as being bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. And I wonder when's the last time I stopped and seriously considered the plight of Christians around the world seriously considered it oh it can be a passing thought as we're on our way to this or that because we like our life the way it is and you know what we long for Jesus Christ to return and I've said it so often but have we ever stopped and thought about the two billion I don't know how God's going to work at all But I think sometimes he wants to wake us up. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And I wonder, what's my testimony for Jesus Christ? What would happen if somebody stopped me and said, What does Jesus mean to you? Can you tell me what Jesus means to you? Number five, become a living example of what it means to follow Jesus unto death. And I believe if that preacher from years ago that I heard talking about these two streams of Christianity, when he said they run parallel for a long, long way, but eventually there's a veering off, I believe if he's, if he's right, perhaps right here is the key. They love not their lives unto the death. You know what? What? If our forefathers would have loved their lives, we wouldn't be here tonight. And let's go back even further. Our faith is dependent on one that gave us his very life. And God has called people through the ages to give their life, and it's added to his kingdom by leaps and bounds. Remember the testimony of the one uh, man that would kill the people back in the Anabaptist times? He said, Behold, the more I kill, the more there are. And I'm concerned sometimes that we've gotten so far away from the concept. Is our love going to wax cold? The Bible says in verse 13 here in Matthew 24, But he that shall endure unto the end The same shall be saved. It also talks in verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. For many, that is a reality. They know what it's like to be hated because they follow Jesus Christ. They know what it's like for their very life to be in danger. And let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. And you know what? This comes very close home because I wonder how often we we have a love of life instead of being willing to give our life. Hebrews 2. Verse 14, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And I wonder how many billions and billions of dollars have been made by people that capitalized on that fear of death. It seems like people have so much of a fear of death, but what would happen if God called me to live the kind of life that one day I might have to give my life? Would I be willing? Revelation 12, 11, again, there's a threefold recipe there. They had the blood of Jesus, they had the word of his test. they had the testimony of Jesus, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I'd like to just close with a couple stories that I read about the underground church. Of course, there's, there's plenty of stories about pastors that went to jailers And they were so full of the zeal of God, they witnessed to these jailers knowing full well, it might mean death, it might mean a longer prison service, but they had the opportunity, so they witnessed to them. Richard Wormbrand, who started the the work, Voice of the Martyrs, he said he he witnessed this more than once where a pastor was was beaten, he'd be having a service here, he'd be having a Bible study or service or whatever, he was sitting there discussing things or they were going over things and a guard would come rushing in and they'd grab the pastor, take him out and beat and bloody him, threaten him, maybe throw him back in the cell and the pastor would kind of pick himself up, maybe brush himself off a little and say, now where was I? And I'd like to read you a story. That I find pretty incredible. This comes from Richard Wormbrand's book. The distinctive feature of the underground church is its earnestness in faith. A minister who disguises himself under the name of George tells in his book about God's underground the following, about God's underground, the following incident. A Russian army captain came to a minister in Hungary and asked to see him alone. The young captain was very brash and very conscious of his role as a conqueror. When he had been led to a small conference room and the door was closed, he nodded toward the cross that hung on the wall. You know that thing is a lie, he said to the minister. It's just a piece of trickery you ministers use to delude the poor people, to make it easier for the rich to keep them ignorant. Come now, we are alone. Admit to me that you never really believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The minister smiled, but my poor young man, of course I believe it, it's true. I won't have you play these tricks on me, cried the captain. This is serious, don't laugh at me. He drew out his revolver and held it close to the body of the minister. Unless you admit to me that it is a lie, I'll fire. I cannot admit that, for it is not true. Our Lord is really and truly the Son of God, said the minister. The captain flung his revolver on the floor and embraced the man of God, tears springing to his eyes. It is true, he cried, it is true. I believe so too, but I could not be sure men would die for this belief until I found it out for myself. Oh, thank you, you have strengthened my faith. Now I too can die for Christ. You have shown me how. What have we shown people about Christianity? Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven tonight, We thank you for your abundant faithfulness that has been there through the ages and is there still today. Lord, we thank you for your word that as we read it, it does not have to strike fear in our hearts in an unhealthy sense, but it can strike a joy and a peace. And and yet, Lord, tonight we realize that the Bible talks about the fact that in the end days, the love of many will wax cold. And we pray, Lord, help us to have a love that is not waxing cold, but is growing more fervent daily. Lord, help us to love you with all our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you see this group here tonight and you see the heart of each one. And we pray, Lord, as we spend just a little time considering and singing that if there's anyone here tonight that does not have, truly have peace with you, that you would give them courage to come forward and to seek somebody's help so that they too can find that peace. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, each one of us, that we would live lives that are so fervent for you and that show a love for you that one day it will take us to the end where we can hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Though we were unworthy, yet we want to have that love and that faith in you that will carry us through to the end. Thank you for your faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name.